everybody, it is Wednesday, May 8th, 2019, and you are listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Lake, and uh, on this show, we like to talk about car news, car culture, and car whatever. Uh, this week, we're continuing our sl- subtle tweaks, changes, and other things to the formatting of this show. Uh, so bear with me as the, as the things continue to tighten up, wrap up. It's been a year and a half that we've been doing this, which is wild to think about. Uh, And uh, it's been pretty interesting uh, being on this road. So if you're a returning listener, thank you so much. If you're a subscriber, triple, double, thank you. Uh, If you're brand new, I hope you uh, find some things that you are interested in as we uh, talk about some car news uh, in this specific episode. Uh, In this one, I did want to focus in on uh, some news stories that are kind of tied in together around a similar thing as we're continuing to see the growth in electrification in EVs uh, in all markets around the world. And for most automakers, uh, there's a lot of changes that are needing to be done in the background before a car ends up hitting the streets. And uh, some news broke today, or at least some discussion about some news uh, was out today uh, from Toyota and Honda and the sacrifices that they are gonna be making in order to have electrified products on the road ASAP. Uh, They've got a lot of work cut out for them and we'll kind of talk about some of the stuff that they were doing and whether or not it worked uh, to kind of tie into where they're potentially going. Just the same, uh, Honda had some other news kind of regarding that that's going to kind of filter on down the line. uh, So that'll be worth talking about as well. And then we did have big news today uh, from Volkswagen with some specifics about the first of their ID branded vehicles. Uh, We've got some official pricing, we've got some ranges, uh, we've got some availability news. So all that and more guys after the break. But once again, I wanted to thank you guys uh, for listening, subscribing. Uh, We do make this podcast available on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Uh, so if you're not subscribed, you know, please do. Uh, if you are subscribed, uh, if they if they ask you to do a rating or anything like that, um, if you could just take a moment to give this podcast a rating. It does help this get seen by more people, and I really do appreciate it. Uh, but with all that, in guide, all that in mind, guys, uh, after the bump, we'll talk about some of this car news, uh, focusing first on Toyota and Honda. guys so stepping into the news uh for today's episode i wanted to focus in first on some things that are being discussed about honda and toyota Uh, both of the vehicle uh, companies were highlighted in a news story from reuters uh, earlier today discussing the amount of costs that need to be slashed at both companies in order for them to catch up in the electric vehicle world Uh, both of these car makers Uh, We're pioneers, uh, really, when it comes to electrification uh, with the launch of both the Prius and the Insight uh, for Toyota and Honda, respectively. Uh, Both of these cars changed the way people thought about green options for their vehicles. Uh, Honda did beat Toyota to market with a a, uh, hybrid here in the U.S. by a few short weeks, but in much of the rest of the world, uh, the Prius was a lot of uh, people's first experience with electrification in a daily use vehicle. Uh, It's really important to kind of think about how Toyota really approached this in a very different way than Honda did back then. 
Uh, Toyota wanted to make a car that was usable by not just, you know, a person. Uh, it was a family vehicle that uh, was able to go around and get groceries and go to work and do other things and save you gas uh, in places where gas was being wasted the most. And that was sitting at stoplights and uh, slow speed traffic. And, you know, their hybrid synergy drive system was able to power the vehicle for short distances uh, when gasoline would be wasted the most. And in the long term, I think it really goes to show how forward-thinking Toyota was because so many automakers have developed similar hybrid systems to that, uh, have developed start-stop technology for the gasoline engine, similar to what the Prius had, and many of those vehicles are based on normal cars and trucks that we would be driving every single day as it is. On the flip side, Honda went a little bit of a different route. Uh, the, in, the first generation Insight was a small two-seat, kind of sporty coupe uh, that used some high technology uh, materials and weight saving uh, choices were made. Uh, it used a different kind of hybrid system. It was built alongside the Honda S2000 in the same plant. It was a very weird and very special car that, um, whereas the Prius, you know, really shined in the city performance of fuel economy, uh, the Insight was able to shine both in the city and out on the highway. Um, being able to exceed more than 50 miles per gallon in many different situations. Uh, just phenomenal performance with that car. Uh, but as time went on, the demands of the public changed. You know, the Prius got much larger. Uh, the fuel economy has continued to improve. Uh, but it's become more of a normal vehicle outside of its styling cues. Whereas the Insight uh, went from being a very niche vehicle to attempting to be a Prius Alsoran and never really getting the traction that it needed. And I think a lot of that has to do with Honda's hybrid system that they had been using at the time. Uh, it just didn't save as much gas as what a simple uh, lightweight vehicle would have been able to do with a stop-start uh, technology on the gasoline engine. Uh, so Honda, you know, after that second generation went away, they went back to the drawing board and thought about, you know, what they, what they need with their hybrid system. And the new Insight that's out today is much more... Uh, along the lines of what you'd see in a Prius or many other vehicles. And uh, as such, it's been reviewed quite well, and it looks like it's sold pretty okay. Uh, so that's kind of where things are at with them. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Honda and Toyota have both said repeatedly for quite a long time that they didn't think the technology was there for electric vehicles, that it would never quite be there for electric vehicles, and that uh, hydrogen power was going to be what they were going to chase after. So you had the Honda Clarity and you had the uh, Toyota Mirai. Uh, those were going to be the vehicles that were going to push both of these companies forward in terms of technology and performance, and they were going to continue to invest in hydrogen power. And yeah, just, you know, it never really turned out. And uh, as much as those vehicles have, quote-unquote, sold uh, out in California, uh, that's really the only place where they exist. And as such, they're in a pickle. They're in a pretty significant jam as we head into 2020 uh, when it comes to electric vehicles, simply because they have not invested the time, energy, or technology in these EV platforms uh, when all of their competitors instead have been doing that for the last five to 10 years. Uh, so as such, uh, they're running around with their hair on fire trying to figure out what they need to do. Uh, Toyota in this Reuters article is saying that they're cutting costs everywhere 
from the top to the bottom of the company uh, in order to be able to fund an EV development program, uh, whether it's pencils for the R&D team, uh, different ways that things are manufactured or sold, uh, it's all gonna be penny-pinching uh, to make the money available for this program. And as such, you know, I don't really feel like Toyota has really shown us what they want to do with an electric vehicle. Uh, I, I can't say that I'm surprised given Toyota's lack of innovation in the past 10 to 15 years and their continued push away from uh, technology as simple as Android Auto and their infotainment systems. Uh, it, it shouldn't be a surprise that EVs aren't high on their list of shit to take care of. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know what their plan is. Uh, they have sold EVs in the past. They had the uh, Toyota RAV4 EV that was basically powered entirely by Tesla underneath uh, for a few years back in the early 20-teens, uh, but most of those vehicles were lease options, and I think a lot of them ended up getting destroyed after they were returned to Toyota. Where they're going to be at in the not-too-distant future, you know, uh, they do have the new Corolla Hybrid coming out. Obviously, they have the all-wheel drive Prius coming out. Uh, they have major hybrid uh, options coming for the Toyota RAV4 and the new Highlander. Uh, it seems like, you know, hybridization is still a very big thing for Toyota uh, in their electrification plans, but where that EV model fits in uh, isn't entirely clear. Uh, it seems to me that what they would want to do is introduce some kind of crossover-y type uh, plug-in electric vehicle, kind of similar to the Kia Niro. To me, that seems like the straightforward good answer for them. Uh, and it's a shame that they don't have the Scion brand anymore, because I really feel like, you know, something like the old XA or XD would have been a prime uh, vehicle shape size kind of thing for an electric power plant, but uh, they just don't have that. So... Uh, if, I'm a, if I'm a betting man, I would be willing to bet that some revision of the RAV4 in the not-too-distant future will likely get some kind of electric powertrain. Uh, but in the meantime, I guess we will need to wait and see with what their plans are. On the flip side, over at Honda, Honda is being a little more... Uh, I'm going to use the word pragmatic uh, in their approach to how they need to get to an electrified model. Uh, Honda has done some electric work in the past. They do offer the electric Honda Fit out in California. Yes, it is a compliance car, but it is technology that was developed in-house for them, by them, for that specific vehicle. They've also done uh, other previous work with hybrid vehicles and so much else, and as much as their hybrid technology has changed in the past handful of years, uh, they're still not quite to the ubiquity of the systems underneath Fords or Toyotas or really any other brand when it comes to hybridization. Uh, Honda is saying right now where they're going to start cutting costs and other things is by limiting choices available to customers and to really focus in on profitability when it comes to building and selling vehicles uh, every single day. Now, one article that I've read seems to indicate that Honda is going to be slashing uh, specific models within their portfolio in order to cut costs, while at the same time, other articles are saying that it's not necessarily models that are going to get cut, but it's going to be trim levels within each model uh, that are going to get cut down and things are going to kind of get smushed together. And if it is option two out of those ones, I think that is a very smart move for Honda. I've criticized their lineups for some time with the weird way that uh, certain things are or are not available in the LX, EX, EXL, Touring, and whatever trims. And it's it's nice 
On the one hand, that they don't offer many options on each trim of the vehicle. On the other, lacking out what I would say are normal base trim features that should be available in a base trim car uh, seems really asinine. In particular, uh, Android Auto and Apple CarPlay is locked into the EX and EXL trims uh, on most vehicles, if not higher trims, uh, at least with their larger uh, pilot and uh, passport vehicles, uh, which is nuts, uh, when, especially when a lot of that stuff is standard in a comparable Kia or Hyundai. And yes, I know margins are likely much thinner in those cars compared to what Honda has in a comparable Civic or Accord. Uh, there's a reason why buyers are switching to the Korean brands. And uh, Honda's got to make some, or excuse me, Honda's got to make some moves uh, in regard to shaping up the number of options that are being made available. Now, if they were to start cutting cars and other vehicles in their uh, portfolio, uh, it, I'd really be curious to see what they would be looking to remove in order to balance things out. Uh, to me, it seems like something like the Acura ILX would be one uh, that would need to go away simply because it's on an older Civic platform using a lot of older Civic parts that don't need to be around, especially when the current Civic is here and it's so well-reviewed and you could adapt it to that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, to some extent, there's an argument to be made that Toyota, or not Toyota again, but Honda could eliminate almost all of the sedans and small cars in their lineup uh, to really kind of focus in on what's selling right now, and that is vehicles like the HRV, the CRV, the Passport, and the Pilot. Uh, I don't think Honda will ever get away from small cars, and that's that's one of the things that I love about them as a company. But whether or not they need the Fit, the Civic, and the Accord in their lineup, I think is a big question mark right now. And if they were to eliminate models, I think the Accord would likely be the first to go over the Civic and the Fit. Uh, we will see what's going on there, but one little extra note on the Honda uh, portfolio, actually two different notes, is that uh, Honda's first electric vehicle does have some more details being added to it uh, as we speak. Uh, Honda had the Urban EV concept debut in 2017. Uh, that was followed up by the Honda E prototype earlier this year. Uh, that vehicle now has an official name. And it has some uh, production specifications that are, uh, at the very least, I would say disappointing. Uh, the vehicle will be known as the Honda E uh, in Europe and Japan. Uh, it is very much an urban electric vehicle, as the initial concept had suggested. Uh, so it is a very small car. Uh, or Honda has said that 22,000 people have registered interest online about the car. Uh, and whether or not those 22,000 people end up turning into actual vehicle sales, uh, it's hard to say for sure, but you know, at least based on some of the videos and other things I've seen online, I think this is going to be a very practical, livable vehicle for most people in cities and other scenarios, uh, but it really seems like this is definitely not going to come to the United States, at least based on the specifications that Honda is talking about. Uh, with the car nearly ready to go, uh, they're giving out a ballpark pricing figure of about 35,000 pounds, which is a little over $45,000 here in the United States. Uh, the Honda E has a 30 kilowatt hour battery uh, and it has an electric motor that's going to put out about 98 horsepower and 220 pound-feet of torque. On the WLTP cycle, that's going to be about 125 miles of electric range, which here in the U.S., 
at least based on the way that the EPA rates it, it's usually much lower than that. So I would guess maybe 100 miles of range total, which really isn't so great when you consider that price point. Uh, what Honda does have over a lot of other vehicles that would be not only in that price range, but just direct competitors is that the Honda is, well, built by Honda. There's going to be a lot of good engineering touches put into the vehicle, a lot of smart thinking about what makes a car usable. Uh, but really the big thing is going to be that this car is dripping with style that a lot of other cars in that segment don't have. Honda wanted to kind of pay homage to the, uh, old Civic of the 1970s, uh, and as such, you know, it's styled that way. It's got these really interesting kind of wool seats uh, in the interior that are uh, bench seats, essentially, uh, to fit as many people in the car as possible uh, when necessary. It's got this interesting wood grain, at least on the prototype, uh, that looked just fantastic. And I think it really just kind of paints that picture uh, really that thing that I've talked about before in the past is that, you know, if you're, if a car is supposed to be an extension of you, uh, at least in terms of style and many other things, uh, I think this is really going to cater to a very specific end of the market. And I do assume to some extent that Honda is going to be pretty successful. The problem is, of course, that Tesla exists. And when Tesla is in that same part of the market, uh, for just a few grand more, you can pick up a Tesla Model 3. Uh, that gets, you know, 329 miles of range on the WLTP cycle, which I think here in the U.S. that's, what, 280? Um, so for 30, what is that, 38,900 pounds is for the base trim Tesla Model 3 in the U.K. Uh, that's a hell of a lot more car for not a whole lot more money. And, you know, in that price range, if three grand is going to be the make or break for a lot of people, I think they're going to end up choo choosing something even cheaper than either one of those cars. Uh, you know, a Nissan Leaf is still a little bit cheaper than both of those uh, over there in the UK. Uh, you've still got the Renault Twizy and so many other things. Uh, or excuse me, is it the Twizy? Yeah, it's, I think it's the Twizy is the one. I might be getting it confused with a different name. Uh, but there's lots of other options in the EU when it comes to electric vehicles. So as much as I hope that uh, Honda is successful with this vehicle, uh, with these specifications, they're, you know, they're in a very narrow part of the market right now and another thing that uh, is brought up at least on this auto blog post is that uh, we do have a next generation Honda Fit coming and that Honda Fit will likely be having a hybrid system made available to it and if that fuel economy in that vehicle is going to be pretty significant uh, how much more of a good choice does that become over the Honda E uh, depending on where prices end up landing uh, it's so there's a lot of interesting, tough choices to be made in this segment right now, and what exactly they're going to do, you know, it's hard to 100% say. And while we're still on the topic of Honda, one more thing uh, when they're talking about uh, slashing costs and other things is that they are developing a new platform to underpin a wide variety of Honda vehicles in the not-too-distant not future, uh, referred to the Honda Architecture Platform. Now, this uh, Honda Architecture Platform... Uh, will underpin global models starting in 2021, um, but it's kind of foggy as to what vehicles it's going to be. That aforementioned Fit uh, is going to be debuting uh, in Tokyo in the fall this year. It's very likely going to be on sale sometime in the spring or summer of 2020, uh, so that definitely will not be riding on the Honda architecture platform. Uh, that same platform will underpin the HRV as well, which I would assume we'll probably see by the end of 2020, which by the way, 
holy cow, that's crazy. The HRV's been around quite literally forever. That thing is old as shit. It is outclassed in almost every single way by other small uh, crossovers in its segment. Uh, granted, it still gets marketed as like a best buy in its segment. I wouldn't touch that thing with a five foot pole uh, right now when it comes to technology and many other demands, but hey, that's just me. Nevertheless, uh, those small cars are gonna be on uh, its own platform that's already under development. Uh, the argument I think to be made right now is that the Civic CRV and uh, excuse me the Accord will very likely end up getting this new platform as the timing for new platforms seems to lay out a little bit better. Uh, keep in mind that the Civic that's currently on sale debuted as a 2016 model uh, in late 2015 and add the five or six years for a normal production cycle uh, for a car would put that into 2021. We've already seen some light touches on the Civic as it is. Uh, so that seems to me like the most likely scenario for a new platform. Just the same, the CRV debuted not long after that, so that would time out well for a new thing uh, there. But whether or not this new architecture is gonna be big enough to do that uh, kind of remains to be seen. What is interesting, of course, is that that same Civic platform shares a lot with the same platform that's under the Accord, and that platform in of itself underpins other larger and more luxurious vehicles for Acura. Uh, so where this is going to end up going, not entirely sure, but you know, it's, it's going to be interesting also to me to see if this platform is going to be designed from the ground up to take an electri electrified uh, powertrain. Uh, whether or not it's going to have that floor-mounted battery or it's just going to be a hybrid system. Uh, these are things that automakers need to start considering now because as regulations continue to change more and more uh, here in the U.S. as well as in Europe and in many places, they're already talking about completely eliminating uh, the sale of petrol vehicles uh, by the 2030s. Uh, these things will need to be taken into consideration when designing these new platforms and uh, as much as Honda and Toyota are behind, when it comes to electrification, uh, they they will find a way out. They always have and they always will. Uh, these are huge platforms, uh, huge companies that have a lot on the line and they're not going to drop off anytime soon. So we will see where things end up. And uh, after a quick little break, we're going to talk about another brand and their electric cars, and that is Volkswagen. Be right back. So in the next uh, bit of news, I wanted to talk about Volkswagen. Uh, Volkswagen has a lot of plans when it comes to electrification of vehicles, uh, not just here in the United States and in North America, but all over the world, uh, all having to do with, well, government contracts, uh, demands by other governments, Dieselgate, so much more. And uh, the first of their electric vehicles does have some new, significant, and I think very interesting details to talk about. Uh, but first, I wanted to touch on their charging network here in the United States. Uh, as part of their Dieselgate settlement, settlement with the EPA and with other American regulators, uh, Volkswagen is being, well, I shouldn't say forced, but they really are being forced uh, to build out a... Uh, electric car charging network in the U.S. that uh, is meant to serve not just Volkswagen electric vehicles and Volkswagen Group electric vehicles, but electric vehicles on the whole. 
Uh, Electrify America is a brand that was started uh, by Volkswagen, and they have plans to build thousands of chargers across the country in the next few years. Uh, and the first of those charging uh, centers have been built and are charging electric vehicles. Uh, the big thing right now is that Volkswagen is looking for input from people and from businesses on where they need to put their next set of chargers. Uh, as of right now, most of the chargers that I can find on a map here in Michigan are at uh, Walmart and Sam's Club locations. Uh, these are in some high traffic areas. Uh, but at least me, at least being a whiny boy, uh, I'm here to complain that none of these chargers have been built in the greater Grand Rapids area, but instead are much further to the south and to the east of us, uh, where it doesn't exactly seem like uh, the type of areas and crowds uh, that would be buying electric vehicles in the first place. Uh, if you do want to suggest some of that stuff, you can head on over to Electrify America's website. There is a part of that website where you can suggest uh, certain EV uh, charging locations, but it's not entirely clear uh, what exactly they want from you uh, in filling out some of that information. Now, speaking of Volkswagen's electrification plan more specifically, uh, like I said, they did make some major announcements about their first electric vehicle earlier today. Uh, their ID sub-brand has been one that I've talked about a lot on this podcast and with a lot of interest. Uh, Volkswagen has been doing a lot of cool things with this platform and with their technology to build not only usable everyday vehicles that meet a wide variety of size and need uh, for each of their customers, you know, from something like a subcompact hatchback on up to full-size family sedans and crossovers uh, to even dune buggies and other things. Uh, but the reality of what this project is going to be for them is that their first car needs to be something that is going to be usable by the widest amount of people possible, and that is their first car, the ID3. Uh, Volkswagen is going to be using the ID and a number name uh, as their naming scheme. Think uh, kind of like what Audi does with the A4, A6, A3, and so on and so on uh, to kind of give you an idea of the size, the performance of the vehicle, so on and so forth. Uh, this ID3 is going to be their Volkswagen Golf-sized model. And in a roundabout way, Volkswagen is basically viewing this as the ultimate successor to the Volkswagen Beetle, then the Volkswagen Golf, and now the ID3 uh, going forward within their company when it comes to design, engineering, uh, market attention, so much more. So this is going to be a very big, very important launch. Uh, Volkswagen has begun taking uh, pre-orders uh, in Europe and in the UK specifically for this vehicle. Uh, they are just asking for uh, 700 euro deposits, about $850 US. Uh, you can put your name on the list for one of these cars. And Volkswagen has plans to start building them by the end of 2019 and to start issuing deliveries by uh, early mid 2020. So basically this time next year, um, you'll probably start seeing ID3s out on the road. Uh, they have plans in terms of capacity and orders right now to be able to fill about 100,000 orders, uh, but they have the ultimate capacity over the next decade to build 
roughly 15 and a half million electric vehicles. Uh, Volkswagen having taken their time when it comes to ele their electrification plans, uh, doing some test runs with Audi and Porsche, uh, they've kind of got a good idea as to what is needed from them to have a successful launch of an electric vehicle. And they're trying to avoid the bottlenecks that really slowed down uh, vehicle sales for not only Tesla, but Hyundai, Kia, General Motors, and many other car companies because they know that the public wants electric cars. They just have to be able to build them fast enough to meet that demand. Uh, the ID3, you know, if they get those first 100,000 orders out, uh, good chance, you know, you're going to see it in a lot of places. And one of those things that I think is going to help them drive sales is the pricing of the vehicle. They're going to be launching this within uh, three different range levels. Kind of think of like what Tesla had been doing with the Model 3 where you could get the standard range, the mid-range or the standard plus, and then the long-range model. And now I think it's what, just the mid-range and the long-range? It's a weird mess. But nevertheless, uh, Volkswagen is saying that they're going to have a range uh, between about 205 miles to 260 miles for the uh, standard and mid-range, and then the top trim range will have about 342 miles of range. Now, all of that is on the WLTP cycle, which means take about 20 to 40% off the top of that, and you've got a good idea where it would be here in the U.S. So, base trim model, I would expect probably about 150 to 160 miles of range, very similar to that of a Nissan Leaf. Uh, the mid-range model, I'd probably put that at right around 200. So on par with a lot of the new electric vehicles that are getting pretty popular. Uh, maybe around 220 on the high end, uh, depending on where that uh, efficiency level is at. And then that top trim level at 342 miles, probably very much closer to 280 to 300. Uh, in actual real-world EPA testing uh, here in the U.S., which still is pretty impressive for a car with these prices. Now, speaking of prices, uh, to get more specific, that base trim model, uh, they're saying is going to start under 30,000 euros, uh, which is about $33,000, give or take, here in the U.S. Uh, that puts it, again, right in line with where the Nissan Leaf is at and its most basic of trim. Volkswagen isn't saying what is or isn't standard on this car. Um, I have my thoughts that this is probably going to be a pretty stripped out electric vehicle. I'm sure that it will still include things like power windows, uh, probably, you know, some kind of basic level infotainment system. Uh, but it won't have heated seats. It won't have, you know, leatherette surfaces, anything like that. It'll be a pretty basic commuter car. Now, the mid-range model might have some more interesting content being added to it, and as such, there is a little bit more of a jump in price. Uh, they will have a special edition launch vehicle made available in the UK. They're saying right now for the equivalent of about 40,000 euros, maybe a little bit less. Uh, that works out to just under $45,000 uh, here in the United States, and that car is going to be including uh, pretty significant upgrades to the infotainment system, uh, likely with some kind of two-tone leatherette seating, uh, larger wheels and tires on the exterior, and the mid-range battery pack. Uh, more than likely, since that is a little bit more of a luxurious trim variant of the mid-range model, uh, I would probably expect the regular, in air quotes, mid-range model to start in the high $30,000 range, which again 
isn't completely out of the ordinary when you consider that most electric vehicles with some of those niceties with those mid-range size batteries run about the same price. Now, the big question is whether or not these prices are being talked about with or without incentives uh, in the European marketplace. I would fathom a guess and say without, uh, especially because this big announcement does have impact on the American market, on the Asian markets, and so much else. Uh, so, you know, at that thirty-three dollars to $38,000 price range for the base and mid-range model uh, with current incentives for Volkswagen, you're probably looking at about $30,000 give or take a little bit here and there uh, for a pretty decent ranged electric vehicle. And I'd say that's a pretty good value. Now, the other interesting thing about Volkswagen and this ID model and specifically the MEB architecture is that these cars are uh, driven through the rear wheels uh, for power delivery versus many other electric cars in the segment that are front wheel drive. Uh, Volkswagen is really hoping to kind of take aim at Tesla when it comes to driving dynamics and fun and simplicity of driving uh, that is a good bit different from what we've been expecting uh, from any other car companies. Uh, Nissan, Renault, uh, GM, many other car companies have taken the safe route built a front-wheel drive hatchback uh, that does have some compromises when it comes to overall vehicle dynamics and performance. And, uh, you know, whether or not they pick the right thing or not, I think it really just depends on how you feel about it. Uh, I personally think the ID is a brilliant little car. It's priced right. It's a good overall size. It's styled not entirely dissimilar to the new Golf. I think it's going to look like a quote-unquote normal car out on the road, which is a huge important thing, I think, to a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I think assuming that it comes to the U.S. in decent numbers at a decent price, I think they're going to sell quite a few here. And with the charging network rolling out and continuing to grow, as long as you've got the ability to charge it at a wide variety of places, you know, th there's a good chance that this could be a very successful car. We just got to get to 2020 in order to see it come to fruition. So uh, if you're interested at all, uh, head on over to Jalopnik or any other car website. Type in uh, ID3. You should be able to find some more interesting stories about the car as uh, news continues to develop. But uh, after the bump, we do have a breaking news story also related to some EV projects, uh, specifically here in the U.S. Uh, so we'll get to that here in just a moment. Well, we do have some breaking news here at the end of the show that uh, wasn't discussed up front uh, because, well, it literally happened as I was recording the last segment about the Volkswagen ID. Uh, this is very much an EV-related story, and it does have to do with a story I talked about uh, several episodes ago uh, with the Lordstown Assembly Plant in Lordstown, Ohio. Uh, now, kind of sticking strictly to the facts here, uh, before we kind of get into the opinion aspect of the story, uh, GM uh, announced the shutdown of Lordstown Assembly uh, late last year, and when they discontinued the cruise uh, earlier this year, and the last of them got assembled uh, late winter, early spring, uh, the shutdown of the plant really seemed like it was expedited a lot sooner than what a lot of people had expected it to be. Uh, Lordstown... Uh, had been building cars for GM for quite a long time, and as such, the town really kind of centered itself around this plant. And without that plant being open, there were a lot of problems, both 
economically, politically, uh, you know, with this kind of thing happening. Uh, President Trump had promised to keep jobs here in the U.S., to bring more jobs to the U.S., and to keep plants like Lordstown open. And as such, that area of Ohio voted overwhelmingly for President Trump when in the past it had leaned much more toward Democrats who tend to be more UAW-friendly and many other things. It's a very complicated social and economic issue uh, here in the Midwest. Now, with this plant closing down, uh, there are a lot of criticisms of the president and especially of General Motors um, and their way that they handled these tax cuts that they got back and their lack of product planning and so much else. And basically what it came down to was this plant needed to go up for sale and the people of Lordstown uh, didn't want Tesla coming in to buy it and they didn't want Amazon coming in to buy it and they were looking for alternatives to solve this scenario and it looks like at least right now the the alternative that's been a pro- proposed to them and seems to be moving forward is that a company called Workhorse uh, which is based out of Cincinnati and builds commercial vehicles uh, is looking to acquire the plant retool it and begin building their new uh, mid-size or not really mid-size their full-size pickup truck uh, not quite sure if it's a quarter ton or half ton rating, but it's an electric pickup truck uh, that would be seeing competition uh, not only with the F-150 and the Silverado, uh, but more importantly, the new Rivian electric pickup truck uh, that is quickly spooling up uh, interest uh, and investment both from Amazon and Ford over in Indiana. Uh, so this workhorse, is this W-15, is at least in their eyes meant to be this big competitor to uh, these large high-profile vehicles and let alone the Tesla pickup truck that apparently is still in development and still likely to be coming. Uh, They are saying that Workhorse is going to be saving this plant and uh, shifting out of fact territory into opinion territory is that holy shit does this sound like a not very good idea. Uh, not to say that Workhorse isn't a company that exists, because it definitely does exist, uh, and they have been building vehicles for some time. Uh, Workhorse has got their fingers in another big project right now, uh, which is the replacement for the Northrop Grumman, uh, postal service vehicle that all of us see every single day. It's that little tiny shitbox on wheels, uh, that's actually technically based on the uh, Chevrolet S10 of the 1980s. Uses the same engine, powertrain, platform, so much else. And these vehicles were designed to go for millions and millions and millions of miles of service uh, across the country. And uh, these vehicles have held up Well, they've held up, to at least say uh, minimally here, but they are not very fuel efficient. These things burn a ton of gasoline. They pollute uh, pretty poorly when all things are considered. And uh, the Postal Service is looking to change uh, their vehicle. Their contract is up on the Northrop Grumman uh, units, and uh, there is a huge competition going on right now to replace these postal vehicles. Uh, one of the things that the Postal Service is asking for is electrified options for these vehicles going forward. And uh, Workhorse has a bid in for uh, a electrified, potentially an EV vehicle. And with the president getting involved and saying that this deal is going to happen, 
almost feels like to me like a weird play once again that uh, something behind the curtain is going on to try to get them the contract to stay in Ohio so he can get those votes so he can try to become president once again. Now, this might sound a little conspiracy theory-ish, and I, w- I will openly admit that it does seem that way, uh, but it isn't exactly like the president is very good at hiding some of these things. Uh, there's definitely a play at hand, I would say, with this, and if he were to select this Northrop Grumman or not, excuse me, not Northrop Grumman, but this workhorse model as the potential postal service vehicle, uh, that would be a pretty dirty trick all the way around. Uh, Whether or not they, workhorse, have the superior postal service vehicle uh, doesn't seem entirely clear. There's a lot of other companies at play here, uh, including, I believe, Northrop Grumman is still in the mix, uh, along with Mahindra and many other small vehicle manufacturers. So, you know, that's going to be decided in the not-too-distant future. But focusing more on the tangible aspect of this, assuming that Workhorse has the money to source this plant themselves, uh, which doesn't entirely sound like it is the case, uh, assuming that this plant gets focused on the W-15 and not the postal truck, where in the hell do they think they're going to be able to find the sales for this vehicle for a company that basically is starting with nothing, has proven to no one that they can build a vehicle that someone is actually going to want to purchase and drive on a daily basis. And option three, design a vehicle that looks good, uh, remains to be seen. Uh, At least based on the W15 prototype photos that are online right now, uh, It basically, to me, looks like a pickup truck you'd find in Grand Theft Auto or Saints Row. Uh, It doesn't look entirely alien from what we see on the road today. Uh, But at the same time, it doesn't look good. It looks cheap. Uh, It looks like one of those weird, like, Russian knockoff luxury vehicles that you would see at a car show and go, who the fuck would buy this? Uh, That's entirely what I'm seeing here. And it, it just really seems like a cheap ploy to give these people hope to gain a political point or two in this region and hope that it quote-unquote works out and that you know i shouldn't be looking a gift horse in the mouth you know if workhorse thinks they've got the money if they think they've got the interest to build this vehicle to keep this plan open for another uh set amount of time you know that's great i think they should go for it but at the same time we shouldn't be riding on false hope thinking this tiny company from cincinnati is going to have enough interest to keep this plan open to keep this 1500 plus people uh employed at this plant uh and to keep this town afloat because the reality of it is i don't think they do in any way shape or form and uh yeah, I, I, I don't really know what to say beyond that. So uh, we'll kind of keep an eye on this story as things continue to, to develop. Uh, this, I think, is going to be a repeated thing here in the Midwest as uh, production continues to move in and out of the Midwest uh, based on you know unionization, parts pricing, tariffs, and so much more. So uh, we'll up to give you a more up-to-date look uh, as things continue to change. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. 
As always, I'm your host, Brett Eseldyke, and you can reach out to me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. And you can also follow along with episodes of this show at an updated URL that's anchor.fm slash salvage title. Uh, we uh, used to do the show twice a week. It's kind of changing as we continue to think about the format. So uh, we'll kind of keep you posted on where things get to uh, in the not-too-distant future. Right now, I'm kind of feeling more like uh, as news comes, as things uh, need to be talked about is when we're going to post episodes. Uh, but I do hope to do a salvage title Car Buyer's Guide episode very soon uh, about the compact SUV segment once again. Uh, that segment continues to churn in a way that I think is really unprecedented uh, compared to other uh, spots in the marketplace right now. So uh, I think the last time we did one of those looks, I think was end of 2017, somewhere around there, like the very end of 2017. So we are uh, definitely a good bit out from there. And I think some of that lineup has definitely changed a bit. So We'll do that again pretty soon. Uh, Anyway, guys, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week. Uh, And uh, until the next episode, uh, we'll see you again on the Salvage Title Podcast very soon. See ya.